Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. A common attribute that we've noticed amplified in Women on Screen Out Loud's three seasons now is that there is no one way to go about anything in career and life. There is only your way. In her essay, Why I Quit Acting and Other Things, Lindy Greenwood gets personal with her ways, which include challenges that materialized into years of drug abuse, destructive relationship to self and others, and the recovery road and big decisions, which ultimately led her back to herself. There are many ways to become a people pleaser. This is one. I was a strange little girl. I'd love to be able to tell you that I was some badass tomboy who defied the gender norms of the time, but that would not be true. I was obsessed with princess dresses until I was five. Would wear nothing else. You might think that sort of fashion sense would connote a cheery disposition, but no. I can't recall a single photograph from that time in which I am smiling. Just a sad little girl in a sparkly dress often holding a sparkly wand in her sad little hand, carrying the weight of the world before she learned to tie the sneakers she refused to wear. Are some of us born prone to existential crises? Like the shell of our humanity is more porous somehow? Like there's supposed to be a shield protecting us from the memory of whence we came and the overwhelming energies of those we'll encounter while we're here. But some people's shields don't form completely. They're perforated and allow too much through to the little beings that are just learning how to be here. And those little beings quickly develop other ways to protect themselves. Emotional shields, solid as brick walls, with no holes. My mom and dad got divorced when I was one, and my mother remarried two years later. I got a pretty rad baby brother out of the deal. But there were feelings, adult feelings and hardships, swirling in the air, flying at me from all directions. And nobody expected that little girl to pick up on those feelings or to be able to read the emotions behind the carefully manufactured expressions, but she did. She got really good at reading and absorbing adult emotion. And then she got really good at manipulating it. She found she could reduce the suffering in others and therefore within herself by being the thing they wanted her to be. She could read what made them happy, and she provided that for them, because then she was happy too. After all, she saw what happened when adults displeased each other. When one person decided that something was wrong with the other, they left. As long as she never displeased anyone, as long as no one ever discovered what was wrong with her, she would never be abandoned. This internalized fear that something is wrong with me made it almost impossible to connect with anyone fully. What if they saw? What if they know? I was so scared of being fully seen and disliked that I closed myself off. 
easier to not be seen at all. Easier to be dismissed as weird than to be open with others and then rejected for who you really are. I started smiling in photographs, but at that age, I still hadn't mastered it. The smile never quite reached my eyes. Turns out, it is fucking exhausting to be around people when you're constantly trying to please them. Even if you don't know you're doing it. Maybe especially so. The discomfort is deep in your bones and organs, and it surfaces in seemingly inappropriate irritation and restlessness. Oh, the restlessness. What to do with that? There are many ways to become a drug addict. This is one. The six of us smoked a joint when we were 12. Five white girls and me forming the nerdiest cool kid clique in the history of alternative schooling. I watched as my friends giggled maniacally about a safety sign on the Toronto Island Ferry. One of the girls temporarily joined the L and the I of life rafts, forming a U in her stoned little brain, making the sign read, Inflatable Oof Rafts. (laughs) Oof Rafts. Fucking hilarious, apparently. Except I wasn't high. For some reason, the weed didn't affect me, and I was confused and restless as usual. I wasn't about to give up. The next day... I smoked a joint with my neighbor and giggles. I remember gum falling out of my cackling mouth and onto one of my mother's rugs, and I kept giggling as my attempts to pick the gum out of the fibers ended up smooshing it all in deeper. Carefree giggling, maybe for the first time. So this is what they're feeling, those white girls. I felt like I was able to open up. The walls were coming down. I felt free. And a deep bond was formed. A bond between the weed and I. I loved my new friend, marijuana. And soon I went out to make others. Mushrooms, acid, alcohol, ecstasy, crystal, special K, and what would become my dearest, cocaine. Drugs used on occasion and in the right context can open up your mind in ways that may not have been possible otherwise. But drugs used consistently, recreationally or otherwise, become a crutch, a quick way to feel connected to something, a cheap excuse for the real thing. And as with any other middleman, there is always a price. There's the obvious hangover the next day, but there's a deeper price too. By only ever connecting to those substances You lose the ability to connect to other people without them. You lose the ability to connect to yourself without them. You start defining yourself by them. You become an addict. There are many ways to become an actor. This is one. Take someone who is unaware of how starved for and terrified of honest human connection they are and put them in a Meisner class. Lindy, you're already here. You paid for the class. Just... Give me this time. After what was probably another audible eye roll signaling my disdain for repetition, Jason Fraser managed to say the thing that put a tiny crack in my defensive wall. It was so practical. He gave me permission to be there fully. And being there fully in a Meisner class meant being completely unshielded, completely open to your partner and to yourself. I found a new way to connect, and I loved it. This openness in the context of acting became another addiction. 
I wish I could say it took the place of others, but it did not. I started auditioning with a set of unconsciously conflicting goals to bring honest connection to my work and to please my audience. If I didn't book the job, I hadn't pleased the people, and that old deep fear that something is wrong with me would be poked and riled, and I'd put a brick or two back up on my wall, do some more drugs, and on and on, the cycle winding me tighter and tighter until, snap, I broke. And thank fucking God for that. There are many ways to become a happy person. This is one. I quit drugs first. Still awake at 4.30 a.m. Again. Sitting on the bathroom floor with my head in my hands, wondering what it's all for. Drugs were the most immediate problem in my life and the most obvious place I needed healing. I had gone to an ashram to get clean. But when I returned to my beautiful home in the desert, I realized I had more work to do if I wanted to be happy. I knew deep inside that quitting cocaine was right. But everything was so painful. I was raw. I would meditate and do all the things. But I finally realized that I needed more help. Through some challenging work in therapy, looking very deeply at what was beneath it all, I finally became aware of that little seed. That foundational fear. That belief that something is wrong with me. I wanted to be able to enjoy the beautiful life I had created for myself. I had a home on land in a magical place and an amazing, supportive, loving husband. Yet I was missing out on all of it because I was waiting for others to tell me that I was okay. To tell me that I was good enough. That nothing was wrong with me. I finally realized how unhealthy my relationship to acting had become. And then I realized I didn't have to do it anymore. And so I quit acting next. I won't say that I've quit trying to please people, but I recognize now when I'm doing it, at least some of the time. I'm more open and grounded than I've ever been in my life. Instead of trying to stomp out the fear that something is wrong with me, I've started to get curious about what wrongness even is. I am many things. We all are. Right, wrong, black, white. Let's paint with all the colors of our human experience. And let's connect. For real. Coming up, Lara Jean and Lindy speak to Lindy's themes of restlessness, healing, rebuilding boundaries, and next chapters. Hi, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki, and I'm here with Lindy Greenwood. Lindy, thank you for joining us. You are in the desert right now, right? I sure am. It is hot as hell. <laughs> yeah, isn't it, though? This summer is, uh, yeah, global warming. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's our fault. We moved, you know, Ben and I moved to the desert, and we knew what a desert was. But, uh, yeah, every summer we kind of just forget how how hard it, it really is on your body and your spirit to just be constantly this hot. Um, but, you know, then the fall comes and fall and winter and spring are absolutely beautiful out here. Yeah. So just 
glorious. I remember Farah and I took a trip. Farah, I think that was Farah's listening right now. I think 2018, we were in the desert and it was such a glorious watching sunrise in the mornings mm. and uh, it's just so beautiful there. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for writing this. Um, speaking of Farah, I know when she reached out to you about taking this essay journey writing thing with us, you initially said no, and then you circled back around and said that you actually did want to um, join us. So what made you change your mind? What, what has the experience been like? Well, initially I said no because I had recently, like very recently when Farah asked me, I think it was probably... A month before I had decided to leave acting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't figure out which word to use. Retire, <laughs> uh, <laughs> quit, you know. But essentially to, to step away at least for a little while. And so I thought, well, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not part of the industry anymore. Mm. Um, and Farah reached out and said, hey, you know, that's that's a totally fine perspective. However, I think that you might actually have an interesting, well, perspective um, to, to share. So if, you, if you're up for it, please let me know. And then I realized that what a wonderful opportunity to sort of gather my thoughts about the whole thing and put mm. them in one place. Um, and so I decided to take on the challenge. Also, I'm sort of living from the gut lately, and it mm. just felt it felt right. And I love Farah. And it was, uh, yeah, it just felt like like perfect timing. You chose to write it then in this great like four parts or four chapters. Why did you mm -hmm. decide on that structure? I didn't decide. Mm. <laughs> it kind of just happened. It was an interesting process writing this piece because, you know, as I sort of mentioned to Farah earlier, um, I had wanted to write just something really witty and fun and maybe make it like a, a scene, you know, and do different <laughs> voices and accents, accents mm -hmm. and really put on a show for y'all. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I sat down and I was just like, what? No, I kind of just want to tell the truth. And so I asked myself, like, why did I quit acting? And that question just led me to asking myself why I started in the first place. And to answer that, I had to, it turns out, go back to the beginning um, or a beginning. You know, like this story is one through line of my life. It's not the entire story of my life, mm -hmm. obviously, the essay. But um, yeah, it's, it's certainly one through line. And um, it was a really organic process to just sort of ask that question. And, and, and that's where it took me. You investigated the birth. I love this, the birth of a number of things in this essay, you know, mm -hmm. the birth of a neuroses, uh, the people pleasing and an addiction and career in acting, and even this birth of healing, which is where you ended with. And then you asked that question that was like, are some of us born prone to existential crises? And mm -hmm. the, I love this idea of is the shell of our humanity more porous somehow? Have you still been meditating on that? What are your thoughts now about are some of us born to it, kind of the chicken and the egg? theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I kind of love that idea because it's romantic and it makes you feel mm. special. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we all just want to feel special. We want to no. feel loved. And we <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> not, not you. No, you're grounded. <laughs> you don't need that. So, you know, I think that uh, maybe that is true of all of us. Like yeah. we all have the potential to be extremely porous <laughs> and then certain things happen and it's, it's, 
it leads to certain behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. I'm working with kids recently and, um, it's interesting because they all have such little personalities sort of right out of the gate almost, but then you really look at it and immediately they all have different experiences, right? Like mm. there's no way to have the same, same experience for different children, even in the same household. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think that it's innate necessarily. I think unless it's innate for all of us potentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not like um, artists are necessarily more special than anyone else. Or Exactly. Yeah. I, I've thought about um, a lot of things in journey with my own therapy, that, that some of these skills that you talk about, that people-pleasing, for instance, that might make us better, quote-unquote, actors are terrible in personal life. <laughs> and there's this deep dismantling of boundaries that a life in acting requires with you know all different kinds of consequences with that. How have you learned now to rebuild those boundaries? Have they come easily to rebuilding them in a ha- healthy way? I love that question because so before I decided to quit, I've been on this sort of self-exploration journey for a few years now. You know, nothing is immediate. Um, you know, especially change that is important. It takes it takes a while and there are many mm-hmm. steps that lead up to it. Um but I, I came to the same conclusion, you know, I've been, you know, meditating and sort of looking into Buddhism and just, you know, not so being present and non-judgmental and allowing things to to come and go without being too invested is like the complete opposite of what makes a compelling actor, right? Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I didn't know how to rec- reconcile that. And um I don't know if that's maybe what led to some of the turmoil as well as I was trying to continue to act and and never really understood how to separate myself from like how to compartmentalize like Mm. myself as an actor versus myself as a human being. Like Mm. I feel like, especially as actors as well, we're, we're taught that like, that's your identity. That's who you are. Mm -hmm. And so how do you become a healthy person who's sort of can go there when they're acting, but then doesn't go there in their day-to-day interactions and in their day-to-day life and relationships, right? How do you be a person first and an actor second? I think exactly. so often we do it the opposite way. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? I think some people manage it beautifully, but mm-hmm. I did not. I was not able to. Um, and so I don't know. After having quit, it's just... where I want to be as a human being, you know, mm. like I'm able to practice uh, equanimity mm. unabashedly because um, I can fully commit to that now. And I'm not, I'm not wrapped up in this identity of being like a compelling person for people to watch, <laughs> you know? Mm. So you're inviting yeah. yourself back instead of in- abandoning yourself. It sounds like. Yeah. That's a really great way of putting it. Absolutely. I I wanted to take a moment to talk about the restlessness because that phrase that you wrote, oh, the restlessness, the whole team really felt this reverberate greatly within each of us. And I've had 
So many conversations with folks, whether they are artists or not, about this never-ending restlessness. And and to take your words here, it kind of feels connected to that porous shell of humanity that you touched on in the essay. So do you think there's a way now for you that you've managed to channel this restlessness? Yeah, so um, channeling it is an interesting uh, concept. I mean, I think that it can be really useful However, I've also, what I'm really focusing on now is recognizing when I'm feeling that restlessness and not immediately trying to solve the problem, like not treating it as a problem Mm -hmm. necessarily, recognizing it and then allowing it to be and asking myself, so what is this feeling? Why am I feeling restless? Because before any sort of hint of restlessness would have me running off to do cocaine or running mm. off to, you know, drink or or what have you, some sort of survival tactic that's not actually a wise behavior. Um, so yeah, I'm really just trying to to get curious about what's going on in my body. Like when I feel that restlessness coming up, like, okay, maybe now there's a, maybe there's a reason for it that I can... Um, you know, detect or, or figure out, um, maybe there isn't, maybe it's like my tummy is upset, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's something too. Um, and so just recognizing it, sometimes that is enough. And then, yeah, if you, you know, maybe I need to go for a run, maybe I need to, uh, sit down and do a meditation. Maybe, maybe I need to just sit with the restlessness for a bit and then, and, and, and allow it to be what it is. I love this exploration of Buddhism, and I, I mean, so many religions also have this, or, or practices have this. That no, no feeling is final. Mm, mm-hmm, exactly. That's. I think. I'm so glad you said that. That is. That's such a big part of. I think where my head is at now is like remembering that all of this is temporary. You know, mm-hmm. you can be with something, and really be with it, and watch it, and observe it, and watch it dissipate, mm-hmm. and give yourself the space. Mm-hmm. I think to, I mean, that's what's so beautiful in this essay. You really, it sounds like in your journey, you've just given yourself the space to be every mm-hmm. part of you. Yeah. Yeah. And spaciousness that, is something that I am so grateful for lately because really this essay is about someone living a life of shame, mm-hmm. someone being just ashamed. And that is, you know, ashamed that something is wrong with them. There's not even something that they know is wrong with them, but they've got that shame, right? And that makes you just constricted and cut off and literally like balled up, you know? And lately mm-hmm. I am able to, when you release shame, you find spaciousness like within yourselves. So that space allows you to connect for real. Oh, I'm shivering. Such beautiful, <laughs> beautiful things. <laughs> I know uh, Farah mentioned to me that when... Um, she was offering you some edit suggestions that you insisted on keeping the conception of wrongness in the present tense. So you, mm. you said is instead of was. Why was that important to you? Because it is an immediate thing. That fear is not, like it's almost a term that I wanted to keep consistent rather than putting that fear as like a past tense, something that I used to feel like that is something that still comes up for me. I haven't, you know, completely erased it. And that something is wrong with me. Like that is the, 
fear that not it's not unique to me. A lot of us mm-hmm. have this fear, right? Um, and I don't know. I just felt like there was distance from it when I put something was wrong with me, and um, it just didn't. It didn't feel quite as right. Yeah, it makes me think of, you know, there there are core things about who we are as people, and and sometimes people are so afraid of, um, you know, this will always be wrong with me, as you say, and the shame mm-hmm. of it. Instead of if you kind of create space for all parts, suddenly your relationship changes. Mm-hmm. Your relationship to the restlessness or your relationship to the wrongness mm-hmm. changes and it becomes tolerable. Yeah. I really think that um, our, our our emotions are, they're in the body and you can't get a real, um, get real insight into your emotions without considering the body and where these emotions sit. And sometimes that's the quickest way in as well, you know, um, mm-hmm. also I think that there's something to be said for the body sometimes creating emotion that we mm-hmm. don't even necessarily need to feel. Like, you know, like like I said before, when your tummy is upset, sometimes you're just in a bad mood and you don't <laughs> realize that, you know, it's because you ate too much dairy and you, you know, have to poop. <laughs> so um, my partner gave a great rule of thumb, which is um, I think he stole it from his best friend, but uh, mm-hmm. have you eaten greens today? Mm. Have you slept mm. and have you gotten outside? Ah, uh, so perfect. I love that. That's <laughs> and like if any of those are a no, maybe yeah. address that first before maybe you start to have an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, I love that. I might have to steal that. Thank him. To to end here, there's just such an intense and insanely beautiful vulnerability to every word of this piece. And mm. it just takes a lot of bravery to speak from this place. So Thank you. And mm. <laughs> our lives are this constant series of evolutions and chapters. And you've really shared, you know, as you say, one through line of yours. Mm. What do you think the next chapter is for you now? Oh, well, I'm being very conscious of trying to stay open without immediately clinging to a new identity. (laughs) Uh, You know, as soon as I quit, I I told my therapist and right away I was like, oh, I think I should have kids. And she was like, you know, maybe that's true. But also sometimes when we're going through big changes, we are immediately looking for something that will give us new meaning. And children is a very immediate way to find that. So I, um, you know, I'm just trying to allow myself to to stay open and see what comes next. And having said that, I'm already teaching yoga at uh, the studio in town, and I've been teaching kids yoga, which has been so rewarding. And I just accepted a position as the community outreach coordinator. So I'm planning all of these special events centered around the studio and around yoga and around community. And it's just like connection to the max. So I'm feeling like I'm really manifesting honest connection and community. And I'm super grateful for that. Well, thank you for sharing that honest connection with us today. I really appreciate this essay. I really appreciated your words and the whole team was just thrilled to have you. So thank you. Thank you. It was um, such a great learning experience for me as well. So I appreciate you guys and all that you do. Thank you. Lindy was born and raised in Toronto, where she attended various schools, eventually graduating from the University of Toronto with a Bachelor of Science degree. 
she decided to pursue acting as a career after playing a role in a short kung fu film and falling in love with the craft. She studied acting at Pro Actors Lab, Fraser Studios, and LB Acting Studio. She has appeared in many television series over the last 10 years, including Nikita, The Expanse, SWAT, and Sleepy Hollow. Although Lindy had quit acting at the time of writing this essay, she has since played a role in a Hallmark Christmas movie called Every Time a Bell Rings that will be released this November. She is staying open to all possibilities. Thank you, Lindy, for joining us today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women, Women on Screen. screen. Thank you to Company 3 Toronto for hosting us and for continuing to support Women on Screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Executive produced by Farah Marani, Lauren McKinley, and Kira Murphy. With original music by Erica Percunier. Sound captured by Devin Doucette. And sound mixed by Arturo Fuenmayor at Company 3 in Toronto.